right, welcome back. Another episode of the Toxic American Podcast. So I wrote a Substack yesterday, and in that Substack, I think I titled it "Your Civic Duty Is Dangerous Liberty," something along those lines. Um, <clears throat> if you would check out that Substack, it's linked in my uh, Twitter profile at. Toxic American or Rudy with a permit. Either way, that'll get you there. And click through the link and you can read that. It doesn't take very long. Not a very good writer. So it takes me forever to write it, but it only ends up being like a five-minute read. But anyway, so there's some things that I wanted to talk about that I didn't put in that um, article, Substack, and just some things that I kind of wanted to expand on. <clears throat> Kind of just on the fly, in the moment, in the thought. Things that I can't do when I'm actually having to type something out physically. So in there, I lay out kind of a baseline of what a civic duty is and why we have them. So if you're not familiar, basically a civic duty would be to obey the law, pay your taxes, things of that nature. Be a good citizen, basically. But it only works when the social contract is intact. And I also list, kind of line out what the social contract is, which is basically the deal that we have as citizens with the government, and it's our consent of the governed, basically. So if we do, we hold up our end of the bargain, they hold up their end of the bargain, everything works as it should. We have freedom of speech, you know, different, diff many different rights, one of which is freedom of speech. We're able to say what we want about our government, criticize them, chastise them, things of that nature. And so long as they don't crack down on us and abridge that freedom, that right, everything works out. In theory, you would affect some sort of change by speaking on it, but I think we understand kind of the basics. So... I believe that the social contract is dead. I believe firmly that the social contract has not been upheld in at least the last 20 years. The reason I believe that well, it's manyfold the reason that I believe that. And I don't, I'm not going to point towards singular incidents, which would, you know, the accumulation of many singular incidents would be pretty paramount in uh, taking down the idea of the social contract. But you also could compartmentalize those things and say that, well, this was an isolated, this was isolated, this was isolated, so... Like in a court of law, circumstantial evidence, even though there's an accumulation, does not necessarily mean a guilt there. Case in point would be someone like O.J. Simpson in his criminal trial um, in which you know he was accused of killing his ex-wife and uh, Ron Goldman. I think it was Ron Goldman. Um, you can have all this accumulation of circumstantial evidence, but if you can't put the knife in the hand with the glove on it, then very hard to secure a conviction but anyway getting beyond that so the social contract contract to me is dead in my case in point that i'll point to 
and I point to this in the article, is the COVID response. Not COVID itself, but the response to. Now we can pass along a whole lot of blame on whose fault it was of the COVID response. I personally blame Donald Trump, even though I voted for the man twice. Uh, even after I voted for him after he turned the country over to the same folks he said he was going to get rid of, i.e. the deep state and the bureaucracy. Um, epic fail there, Trump. Think about the COVID response. Think back to early 2020, March of 2020, March, April, May, basically, when we can understand that sort of a fog of war scenario exists where this thing is coming along, you're getting high case loads, you're getting some deaths, and uncovering the evidence of those exact deaths is very, very difficult early on, um, especially when you're, when the people who get infected early and often are the elderly, I can understand that it's very hard to actually determine what took their life. When you're 80 something years old, life is very delicate at that point. Um, I think we're all well aware of someone who's, you know, 80 years old and yesterday they were in really good shape, moving around, all good. They have a slip and fall maybe in the bathroom, bathtub, break a hip, and that's it. Within six months or so, gone, dead. So I think we can all understand the fog of war early on. What we can't understand, and no one can has even tried to explain, was five and six months in, Hell, even three months in. So if we say June of 2020, let's say July 1 of 2020, it was very obvious to me as just a high school educated, public high school educated, mind you, person with one semester worth of college under his belt, which was not anywhere near the medical field. It was very obvious to me that this thing was a very, very, very big problem if you were of advanced age, i.e. elderly, 70 years of age or above, if you were morbidly obese, or if you had a severe underlying condition, not asthma, but maybe something like a cancer or some autoimmune disease. Obviously, if you had HIV AIDS, then perhaps you want to uh, avoid this thing. But basically, you are already compromised. As, as a human being. So a stiff bout of the flu would be something that would be very, very detrimental to you at that point. It can't be lost in history either that the year of 2020, there basically were no flu deaths recorded. Remember that part? So without getting mired too deep into the COVID nonsense and rehashing all of that BS, which the whole point of me even thinking about this, I've been thinking about what a civic duty is for the United States and us as citizens of the United States, and then trying to think what the social contract means because there's, there's a whole lot of kind of theoretical and hypothetical and, and things of that nature that are out there from, you know, Rousseau and, and Hobbes, and it, it, it becomes a big talking point in libertarian circles. 
So I've been trying to think about these things, compartmentalize them, break them down, think about them at a base level, basically dim them down so you don't have to go out and read all of the books and you can kind of understand at least basically what we're talking about. So what we're really, what I'm really getting at here is that we all have a social contract as from citizen to citizen theoretically, but that's not what the social contract means. Our civic duty as citizens makes us good citizens because part of our civic duty is to respect the beliefs of a fellow citizen, even though they may differ very greatly and we may not agree with their beliefs person to person, we still need to respect those things. And the social contract kind of comes in between citizens of that. So long as you respect my beliefs, I will respect yours. And we will respect each other's beliefs so long as our beliefs do not encroach upon the, the individual personal liberty of each of us. So, you know, making a law that says you couldn't have, a, a, you know, a, a certain religion within a community is a violation of not only a civic duty, but the social contract, let's say. Uh, homeowners associations are a grave, grave violation of your civic duty and of the social contract writ large. Yes, you can all sit there and try to defend HOAs. You're speaking into the wind when it comes at me. Anyway, I digress. So the, the government has a social contract end of the bargain that they have to hold up which they violated time and again during the COVID response. doesn't matter if it was Trump or the Biden administrations, both of them violated the social contract greatly. So my whole thought here is that if the government's violated the social contract and they've never apologized for it, one, They've never made reparations for it, if we want to use that parlance of our time. They have not only not apologized, they're going to try to do it again. We're seeing all of the same things starting to creep up in the corporate media sources about masking and things of that nature. Now, they use the masking and all of that as a civic duty. They frame them all in that way that you need to do this for your fellow man so they don't get sick, which is asinine on its face, especially when it comes to masking. If masks work and you have a fear of this thing or just want to avoid it or you believe what you're being told, you wearing the mask should protect you. I shouldn't have to wear the mask. It's pretty obvious. So the social contract is dead. Not only is it dead, it's been, it's been shattered into a thousand pieces and scattered into the wind. Because time and time again, we see that our federal government and a lot of local state governments keep coming at the citizens and cramming down what they think versus what the citizenry of those areas in the country at large think. That's the end of the social contract. That's it. When you see the federal government who resides in Washington, D.C., 
start to make policies that affect the day-to-day operations of someone, let's say here in northeastern Oklahoma, that's the end of the social contract on a federal level. Because what happens in D.C., whatever Joe Biden or Kamala Harris thinks, I use that term loosely, thinks, does not apply here in my area at all. It doesn't apply in a lot of areas. If you look up a map, electoral map, county by county, and just color it in based on red or blue and how they voted, the vast swath of the entire country is red. Now, if New York City believes the way that D.C. believes, that's fine. But those people in New York City who run the city government get to take what the feds say and then cram that down on them. Okay, that's fine. I don't agree with it. I don't think you should be there. But hey, that's between you and them. But the social contract on a federal level is completely gone. It was gone under Donald Trump. Let's not mince words here. Let's not get it swayed. Um, bump stocks are one of the douchiest things I've ever seen in the gun world. And that is uh, puts them pretty high on the list for douchiest things in the world. But there was no legitimate right of Donald Trump to sway the ATF to outlaw bump stocks, okay? If you want to be a fud boy or a douchebag and get a bump stock and put it on your AR, go ahead. Waste your money, man. That's between you and your bank account. <clears throat> Possibly your wife or boyfriend. Um, that doesn't mean that I was in favor of those going away. That's an anti-2A stance, 100%. So that, if we... You know, I know a lot of you who probably listen to this, and I see that people are listening to this, and man, do, am I appreciating that you guys listen to this. Um, one crazy guy yelling into a mic feels good to see that actually a few people are listening and seem to be repeat listeners, so thank you for that. But lest we get it swayed that we think the Republicans are on our side or Donald Trump's going to save the, the nation, that's not the way this is going. The only way to repair the social contract is not through a revolution, not through insurrection, not through uh, Civil War 2.0. Get that out of your head. It's not even through national divorce. The best, most effective way to reinstitute the social contract is to start locally. Okay? <clears throat> when these things start to really perpetuate themselves, if... There's a second, even if there is a second term of Joe Biden and his administration or just a, a Democrat uh, administration, it shouldn't affect us if we do this and we start at the local level. If we elect in your local community, city, county, town, whatever it is, elect people that are like-minded. Um, if you have kids or even if you don't have kids and they allow you to affect uh, some change on the school boards, do that. Get competent leadership in the school boards, county commissioners, um, your local sheriff. Do not sleep on your local sheriff in the election of said local sheriff or sheriffs. Those tend to be some of the most powerful executive positions in all states. 
if we tie this back into COVID with a mask mandate, there were, I think every county or at least every county I would go to in my local area had mask mandates. No one ever enforced them. So even if you get some form of government in your local town, let's say you have three county commissioners, all it takes is two of them to say, yes, we need a mask mandate and there it goes. But which happened here, one of the county commissioners was actually out of town. <clears throat> the other county commissioner, I don't think was able to go for some reason. And the third one just said, yeah, go ahead. On, in the name of safety, put in the damn <sighs> mask mandates. So when you get a coward or cowards as your county commissioners or your local government officials, your local executives, odds are your sheriff ain't gonna be a coward. Odds are your sheriff is gonna have the balls or the chutzpah or the grit to say, yeah, no, uh, we're not enforcing that. Guys, we got guys and girls, deputies, we got way more bigger fish to fry than someone wearing a diaper on their face, so don't worry about it. So without the enforcement mechanism, it doesn't matter. So when it comes to national election versus local election, if your state is solidified with some competent and, and good people in it, it doesn't matter what the administration of the federal government does because your state, from your attorney general to your governor and everything in between and all the trickle down, should have the balls to fight that and should tie them up in court and should have injunctions. Let's think about this. If we're gonna talk about the Second Amendment and <clears throat> we see that they want to ban our assault weapons, and that's what they are, guys. They're assault weapons. Embrace it. Yes, they're big, bad, scary black guns, and they are assault weapons. Deal with it. We're starting to see many states from Missouri to Oklahoma to uh, quite a few others. Let, let, you've got 26, I think almost 27 states with the right to carry, constitutional carry, some form of that. You also see the states with marijuana just making it legal in their states, whether that's recreational or medicinal. That's not legal federally, not at all. There's no amendment that you know permits you to have marijuana. There's not one that doesn't say you can't have it, but anyway, that's in direct violation of federal law. So if we can do that, we're having all of these gun wins in the Supreme Court. We're having all of these states come out as not only with constitutional carry and passing that through the legislatures, but we're also seeing many states calling themselves 2A sanctuary states. This state that I sit in of Oklahoma is one. I know Missouri is one. I know there's others I can't think of off the top of my head. <clears throat> the ATF does not have enough people to enforce these things. The Federal Bureau of Investigations does not have enough people to enforce these things. The administration does not have the willpower to really crack down and cram all of these things down onto the citizens. The enforcement mechanism is not there. It's not there. And I know what some of you might be thinking is, well, the ATF is cracking down on FFL holders. Yes, that's true from the little guys to some legitimate businesses. And I don't want to say the little guys aren't legitimate, but I mean like a brick and mortar store that has guns and locks them up and all those, not just your kitchen FFL guys. Yeah, they are. You're right. 
That's the only way they have of enforcing this. That's their only enforcement mechanism, okay? But the thing they can enforce is 3D printing. Um, they can't enforce lathes, metal lathes, CNC machines. They can't enforce confiscation. They can't get all the guns. There's more guns than people in this country and ever-expanding every day with the gun purchases. So, if we keep expanding our local localities and having good people there and competent leadership there and get rid of all of this BS from the national party, from the national stuff that keeps creeping in, if we root out all of this evil, all of this wrongdoing. That's how we get our social contract back. Now, it is possible that none of this works. It is possible that we do these things the way they're supposed to be done. We try to effect a reset through voting on the local level and not only voting, but one of the biggest things that we can do is we can use our little platforms, our mid-platforms, or our, you know, kind of large platforms on social media, on Twitter, on, on substacks of being in person at a, a school function, a church, uh, down at the gas station, whatever it is, coach these people up, you know, there, there is an easy way to, to, gain an entry into a conversation that is non-confrontational. And that is by just kind of asking small little questions to someone who brings something up of a political nature. <clears throat> so if you're at, you know, let's say you're at Thanksgiving or you're at some function where there are people that you're acquainted with. Let's say it's a, a class reunion. Let's say your class was 200 people or so. And so you've got in the neighborhood of what, 400 or so people at this class reunion. And let's say someone brings up something to the effect of, <clears throat> oh, well, you know, I think we all can understand that a citizen doesn't really need the same kind of gun that a soldier carries. Okay. Don't launch into that person and say, oh, I'm sorry, can you tell me where the asterisk is on the Second Amendment? Or I'm sorry, can you show me where it said we can carry all the weapons that uh, we're allowed to have so long as they don't resemble what a soldier has? Do it, Instead, do it this way. Okay, so I understand. Like, yeah, nobody wants to see someone who looks like a soldier running up and down the street. Like, yeah, I get it. But what's the difference if someone has a, a pistol that can fire 15 rounds in a minute or a rifle that can fire 15 rounds in a minute? And let them answer and don't, don't jump in. And then they might say something, well, you know, if they're semi-competent, in intellectually honest they may some say something of the nature of well you know a rifle is is a lot more powerful than a pistol okay that's fine is a pistol not powerful though well no i mean you know okay so we can agree that a pistol and a rifle neither of us wants to get shot by them 
Fair enough. I don't want to get shot by it. You don't. We definitely don't want our kids to get shot by it. Fair enough. Um, how is it that kids are shot by these guns or these guns shoot multiple people, you know, in a mass shooting? How, how are they able to do that? And they may answer with something nonsensical of like, well, you know, it can fire this many rounds. I go, okay, well, how does it do that? And they're going to look at you kind of dumbfounded. Like, what do you mean? How does it do that? Well, you know, how does, how does, how, like you have to pull the trigger, right? Well, yeah. Well, who pulls the trigger? And right then and there, if they're intellectually honest, you'll have them. And that's when you can change the conversation to something of, you know, <clears throat> I don't necessarily care how someone, what, what weapon is used to murder someone. I care that they were murdered. I care more that someone thought so little of that person that they would use any implement necessary to kill them. I don't blame the hammer when it hits my thumb. I blame me for missing the nail and hitting my thumb. It wasn't the hammer's fault. It's my fault. I missed. I hit my thumb. It's not the gun's fault necessarily or at all. It's definitely not a manufacturer's fault. There was someone behind that trigger and I want them punished severely. That's one way to affect, that way will affect the most change. I know that we all see social media and we all have, you know, hundreds or thousands of followers and we see all of this stuff and we see these even bigger accounts with their reach and we think that this really changes minds. That doesn't change minds. What it can a little bit, but what really changes minds is a person to person interaction. Again, tying it back into COVID. People were locked down and in their houses and suffered mental illness, especially kids, suffered some mental breakdowns and some mental health issues, not because they didn't talk to people through Zoom or over the telephone or text messages or social or, or any other way. They weren't in the same room with other people. There is a big deal as social beings that we are, that we're in the same room with someone, that we can see the mannerisms of the body, there's different smells that are going on, that whether you pick up on them or not, you're picking up on them as a human. You can see the actual color of someone's skin. Is it changing color? Are they getting nervous? Are they flush? Are they whatever? You can see the eyes. You can see the eyes mixed with the mouth. You see all of these different things and then you get the pure tone of their voice. You don't get the, you also get their undivided attention generally. Whereas a Zoom call, there's so much going on, there's so much other things in the room, you don't necessarily have their full attention. They may not be able to hear you very well depending on the quality, and they don't wanna say anything because it'll interrupt the meeting. In person to person is the best way to affect these things. It's the best way to change these things. It's the only way we have really to get the social contract better. The other part that you have on person to person that you don't get with social media is you get the ability for one side to say, you know what, you're right. I was kind of wrong there because if you do that, especially on Twitter, 
uh, odds are you're just going to get dogpiled even more. I mean, I'll admit if I'm wrong on Twitter, I don't really care, but a lot of people won't. They tend to either just stop responding, um, block you, uh, lock down their account, or they just double down on some crazy nonsense. I mean, I have these conversations on Twitter multiple times about, and I've advanced my talking points a little more, but whether it's abortion and uh, the idiocy that is the other side, the pro-abortion side, people will ask me, why do you even bother? Because the reason I bother is not because I'm going to change that person's mind, that I'm having the, the discussion or argument with. My thought is if I can get someone who's sitting on the outside, who's not engaged in the conversation, <clears throat> but may follow me or may follow them or, you know, some form of that, my followers, someone else's followers, someone who gets in on the conversation. If we can get them to see this conversation and if they're somewhat intellectually honest, it is possible that we get that person to kind of come over to our side on these issues. It is possible that we get that person who may have never thought about it the other way. If you can just plant that little seed of a little bit of doubt or a little bit of, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe that person has a point and then they start looking into it. That's one way to affect the change. But I'll go, I'll double back and say, there's no better way than in person. That's one of the, the goals, I think, of the lockdowns, especially the extended lockdowns, was not only to kind of rig an election through the levers of power, but it was also to keep people away from each other so they couldn't get together and say, hey, this is some bullshit. I don't believe this. So, basically, in closing, I guess, I'm sure that this had a lot of doom and gloom in it and a lot of black pill in it, but that is not my goal. That is not the point. The point here is to wake you up to the fact that the social contract has been shattered, but it can be rebuilt. And it's to wake you up to the only way they were able to do what they did in response to COVID was because we as good citizens and good Americans thought that this was the good thing to do for our fellow man. It was our civic duty to do this. And that's not, I've chastised and made fun of people that went along with it. And I can understand initially going along with it. I never did. I wore a mask twice in a hospital because my wife was getting surgery. And if not for that and not her not needing me to obviously drive her home and take care of her, I wouldn't have done it then. But if you were one of the ones who went along, maybe you had to for work. I totally get it. I worked through the whole thing, but I just... I basically told my boss if, if he needed to let me go because of this, then go ahead. It, it's okay. I don't, I don't care. We're going to document it, but 
hey, you're not going to hurt my feelings. It's fine. I didn't want him to have to put himself out on a limb for me doing what I was doing. And I, I didn't get fired. I was able to keep my job and work through it and those things. But if you were one of those people, that's fine. I'm sure you beat yourself up enough. I'm sure you're angry enough. All I'll say is, hopefully you learn that lesson. Hopefully you're in a better place financially. Maybe you're in a different job, in an environment, something like that. But hopefully you learn the lesson. And all I'll say is, our new civic duty is not to comply. Our new civic duty is to bring our government to comply with the social contract. Until then, until they reinstate the social contract on their end, the social contract is null and void, and it is all our new civic duty is to not comply and to become and embrace our dangerous liberty. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay toxic, America.